Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Hello, everybody. Hope you are doing well. It is time for another J.C. and Morgan podcast. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. Hope you had a great week. Hope your teams won. Although if your team happened to be in the top ten, there's a good chance your team didn't win. That's because it was the yearly installment of Upset Saturday. It happened a year ago in Week 7. It happened again this time out in Week 7. We'll uh, touch upon that kind of look at the past in terms of what just happened, look at the present, what we're looking at in terms of games this week. It's not exactly a banner list of games. Uh, And then the future, some of the things that uh, are going on, including the big Nick Boza story and how that affects potentially how uh, some star players that are sure to be first-round draft picks might decide to to bail out early. We'll see if that's... um, I know it's kind of a popular uh, hot topic now. We'll, we'll dive into that later uh, and, and see what everybody has to say about that. But first off, JC, how are you? Doing great, Mike. Uh, it was a, a fantastic Saturday of, of upsets around college football and, and surprise outcomes. And, you know, even a few games that were closer than um, than anticipated, Notre Dame struggling with Pitt. Um, you know, I thought that was kind of an interesting deal. Texas holds on against Baylor by six. Uh, UCF survives by one at Memphis. Uh, Even on Friday night, South Florida, 23rd-ranked team in the country, 25-24 at Tulsa. Um, Missouri gave Alabama a game a little bit, you know, a little bit. Not a lot, a little bit. Um, You know, so it was was one of those interesting weeks uh, in college football, and and one of the reasons why, uh, no matter how much we sit here and talk about well, what if this happens at the end? This could be complete chaos at the end. It always seems to work itself out. It always seems to come to uh, to a conclusion uh, in terms of, of, of the playoff and, and really before that, the, uh, the BCS as well. And it's because of weekends like this. Yeah, I, I might disagree with you on the BCS part of the thing. We're always <laughs> working out. Um, I, th- I think there were several years where – we could have clearly made a case for the team that was ranked third or fourth to be uh, in that championship game, but we were just kind of going off random uh, computers and biased pollsters to, to determine that. At least with the playoff, I, I agree. I do feel like in the four years that it's happened, uh, you and I talked about it last year, there was this outrage that Alabama got in over Ohio State, and of course a lot of that was people that – Uh, are very much in bed with the Big Ten Conference. Uh, Sometimes this comes down to a little bit of politics, a little bit of... uh, You have television commentators that have an affiliation with one network over another who want to see one team get in over another. 
and get a little bit outrageous with their comments on social media. Uh, and you have uh, those kind of things. But for the most part, I think in the four years we've had this this college football playoff, they have gotten it right. And, and to your point, you know, we we talk about all the disastrous scenarios in like early October of what could happen. But by the time we get to late November, most of it gets cleared out because of the upsets that we have, like we just had in week seven. That being said, I'll go back to this again. Uh, 11 of the 16 playoff teams are from the same four schools. And we're kind of looking down the barrel of the gun of the same scenario again this year. So if you really like variety, uh, they say variety is the spice of life. You ain't getting it this year. I mean, it's going to be the same school. For example, I know there's people that are hoping maybe a, a group five school would get in, like a UCF. UCF, they did the numbers. If UCF won every game, and you're right, they barely beat Memphis. Memphis should have won that game. Um, if they did run the table and go, what, 12-0 and plus the heralded American Conference Championship game and made it 13-0, and they'd have a zero... Point two chance of making it to the college football playoff. So it, it's it's not one of these, anything could happen in college football. No, not really. <laughs> anything could happen for like the same half a dozen schools and everybody else is playing for something different. And, and that just remains to be seen. That being said, it's good to see, I don't care who you're a fan of, I don't care who your team is, for college football, it's good to see Michigan is back. You and I have been proponents of Jim Harbaugh uh, for a number, well, for a number of months now. I would, I would say years. Years will be accurate, but the, the criticism of Jim Harbaugh and the mere notion that he was on the hot seat going into this year at Michigan was so insane, um, so unfounded, and so unrealistic. But he's clearly got the program headed in the right direction now. Uh, Texas appears to be back. Yep, they made it interesting. And, of course, when you lose your starting quarterback, uh, that tends to happen. But Buchel came in there, made just enough plays. Texas, look, Texas is not out of the playoff hunt. Oklahoma has a better resume if they win the Big 12. Uh, and, of course, that would include a, uh, a run through a rematch with Texas in the Big 12 championship game would have to be another a, a victory over Texas in the Big 12 championship game, and they wouldn't have a loss against Maryland to kind of sting them a little bit as, as the committee starts dissecting that potentially versus a, a Notre Dame or somebody like that. But they're back, and then you've got programs like A&M, who picked up a, a road win against South Carolina, Florida, who slept walk through the first half, in uh, Vanderbilt, 11 o'clock local kick there in front of a uh, less than uh, frenetic crowd at Commodore Stadium. Uh, but they went on to win. So you're talking about a one-loss Dan Mullen team. All of a sudden, the Eastern Division is getting interesting. Uh, but we do have some teams that have been sleepwalking the last few years, powerhouse programs uh, that are getting back to some national relevance. I think that's good. And, of course, the biggest statement was made by another one of those such programs, and that's LSU. LSU made a huge statement. Now, look, a week ago, they also made a statement in the wrong direction when they got outplayed by Florida on the road. But they took on a Georgia team, and a couple things to me happened in that game, J.C. Number one, Georgia got exposed. Georgia's got some weaknesses. 
this is not Georgia from a year ago. They're still damn good. I'm not burying Georgia. I'm not putting them in a coffin by any stretch. But that defense is not what it was a year ago. It's not as dominating. They lost that game on the line of scrimmage, and Jake Fromm looked awful. And as uh, a, a good Georgia friend of mine here in Atlanta said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote Abby. Abby says, clearly Fields should be the starter. Mm. Clearly. How could you not see that? Fromm is not good. It should be Fields. She's been saying that for a couple weeks now. And I've been arguing with her, and now I'm starting to wonder maybe Fields ought to get some more PT. I have a feeling he will against Florida. But, but the bigger story, JC, is that LSU – with Coach Ed Orgeron, uh, and I'll do a mea culpa of my own here. I did not see this coming with Coach O. A lot of games to be played, a lot of things to happen. We'll see if they are competitive with Alabama. But right now, he's your SEC Coach of the Year, and LSU is back to prominence. Yeah, impressive win. You know, Baton Rouge, Death Valley, that's a tough place to go win a ball game. Um, you know, Georgia had not played – uh, they hadn't played Kentucky or Florida, which are the two other good teams in the SEC East right now, are the two main challengers. Um, they hadn't really – didn't have the Notre Dame road test. Uh, and they just kind of been blowing people out, you know. Uh, win at South Carolina was nice. Win at Missouri was nice. They did it in impressive fashion, but it was nothing like this LSU team in terms of how they could match up physically. Uh, and I felt like this was one of those days where – you know, Georgia wasn't really sticking with the run. Um, I felt like that would come back to haunt them. This was one of those days where one of those old-fashioned Mark Rick game plans would have probably worked better uh, because Georgia does have a talented offensive line. LSU has a talented defensive line. Maybe they couldn't run it uh, as well as they could. But I, I thought they got a little too reliant on the pass. LSU has one of the best secondaries in the country. Mm. Um, and Dave Aranda had a great game plan. Uh, the defensive coordinator for the Tigers. Uh, and eventually, LSU just wore them down. Joe Burrow, uh, and I thought this because people were ready to throw dirt all over LSU. Um, I felt like when Burrow enrolled there, that he was good enough to where you could think, well, they could be third in the, in the division behind Auburn and Alabama. And I had Mississippi State people and, and other people, oh, no, they're terrible. They're going to be 5-7, and seven, blah, 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 blah. Um, and, and they're not. He, he's a solidifying factor. I think Steve Insminger has done a better job uh, coordinating that offense in terms of what makes sense uh, than maybe Matt Canada did. Of course, Matt Canada did not have Joe Burrow at quarterback, but um, obviously there were some issues there. Um, and, and I just think what they're doing right now even with the loss at Florida, which which was tough because that that wasn't a game, that was a game LSU even led late, um, but that's a tough game. I mean, the year LSU won the national championship uh, in two thousand three with Nick Saban, their one loss was at home to Florida nineteen to seven, and that Florida team was led by the Zucker. <laughs> uh, they went thirteen and one, and that was their one loss. Um, so sometimes Florida bites them and vice versa. I mean, Florida uh, went to Baton Rouge and, and won the SEC East a couple of years ago. That's just kind of how that series goes back and forth. But um, I, I, I thought that uh, they came back, redeemed themselves. I guess a Georgia team that's good. And look, 
I'll say this, that this may be the, the, the Georgia go on the road and get thumped loss. And then we see them roll it out all the way to the championship game and, uh, you know, let the chips fall there where they may against Bama. But one thing is for sure, Georgia's not making the playoff unless they win the SEC, I think. Unless they're, oh, no question. Unless, they're, unless just a bunch of teams have multiple losses between now and then, that which won't happen when you're talking about those schools that you kind of can expect to be there, like Ohio State, Clemson, Bama. Um, you know, I think that uh, I, I think that they're out. And um, and that has to be disappointing for them. I mean, out in terms of an at-large. Anything can happen in one game. But, um, you know, out in terms of an at-large. So we'll have to see sort of uh, how, how that plays out. And certainly it's disappointing for, for Georgia, but good for LSU. I mean, who would have thought we'd be sitting here saying, LSU has beaten Georgia, Miami in the opener, and one on the road at Auburn in the preseason. Yeah. I don't think anybody would have said that. Nobody would have said that. Uh, although Miami has come crashing down to earth, and mm. I, th- I think I think the love affair with Mark Richt is gonna is gonna go real south uh, quickly in Coral Gables with a a, a fan base that is typically uh, very uh, quick to snap their fingers on a judgment anyway. But the, but that love affair for the, you know the hometown boy, the kid from Boca Raton, coaching. Going from the five six one to the three oh five, and uh, it, it's to lose that game to Virginia. Mm. Um, it's just not good, and you're not seeing you're not seeing the type of improvement out of quarterback play that you want to see there. And you go back to the end of last year, the Miami tailspin. I mean, the luster has worn off quickly. I mean, it just went. They were riding hot. What were they eight no? Uh, last year, what was the what was the record going into the final say, couple games? Yeah, they had a game canceled, so they were um, they were ten and zero, ten and zero after, and they smoked Notre Dame forty one to eight. Right, that was their coming out party on a national scene. And then beware of the late season road game at Northeastern outdoor or indoor locations in the ACC if you're a Southern team. And I said that I was like. Pitt hadn't been worth squat this year, but Miami's got to go to Pitt. Yep. Uh, that uh, that final weekend of the season, it's going to be cold. Look out. And I told my neighbor uh, when I lived in Greenville, South Carolina, huge Miami fan, great guy. Um, I said, beware of Pitt. Beware. And sure enough, it happened. And then they just got destroyed by Clemson, lost to Wisconsin in the bowl. Right. Lost the opener to LSU, so yeah, things have not been good. And losing, you don't no. ever want to lose to Virginia. Um, the downfall where I where I saw that the Miami program had hit rock bottom, Mike. Their last game in the Orange Bowl, Virginia, which has a reputation sort of of being soft at times, beats the Hurricanes forty eight to nothing at home. The last game they ever played in the Orange Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, that historic stadium. Virginia goes in there and whips them. You don't ever want to lose to Virginia if you're uh, Miami, and uh, certainly that stinks. I mean, problems on offense. It just, you know, it it, it just it, it looks like sort of some of the same problems he had at the University of Georgia. Yeah, they and they nearly squandered the Florida State game, which yes. would have been inexcusable. Uh, all, all that swagger and turnover chain, and the U is back. Uh, ask your neighbor how he's feeling about all that mm. uh, uh, narrative, right? Did your neighbor go to Miami, by the way? Just out of curiosity. No. 
Okay. Well, then he fits right in with the Miami fan base. <laughs> no. no, I kid. I kid. They're great people. Uh, anyway, uh, that they got some concerns over there at Miami uh, right now. But the bigger concern to me, and I, and I think in a way this almost has stolen the show. Uh, we, we, we hit on the big things. By the way, um, Pac-12, thanks for playing. Bye. Goodbye. Hey, uh, hey congrats to Oregon. Uh, another absolutely. Big, big performance. And Mario Cristobal. Mario Cristobal. I, I think I've, I sincerely think he's going to turn that thing back into what it was. Uh, I do too. I, I, I absolutely. I think that is a perfect fit. I, I actually, I've been a Cristobal guy for a while. I, I thought there were a couple of jobs that he should have gotten that he didn't, and he kind of started flying under the radar a little bit. But that's a great fit, and there's no reason why Oregon can't be really good again. Uh, and they got they got the right guy for that job. So congratulations to or you know if they didn't, I mean truly gift wrapped a game away to Stanford. Who knows how we'd be talking about Oregon right now in the big picture of things? But the big picture for the Pac-12 is you'll be watching it on a recliner, perhaps a Yeti cooler, uh, maybe a nice cocktail. Moscow mules are nice this time of year. Um, it, it just, it's, it's not happening. It, it's, it's not happening. And it's, it's disappointing for a conference. And I remember when, when Larry Scott, you know, when he kind of burst onto the scene as conference commissioner, I, I liked him. I mean, I, I, I don't dislike him now, but like he, he was kind of brash and outspoken and, uh, had a lot of, um, uh, fresh ideas and, and new concepts. It's kind of like, this is not your... This is not your big brother's Pac-12. We're changing things around here. There's a new sheriff in town. Now, the Pac-12 network, that's a whole other story, and I don't feel comfortable talking about other networks since I work for one, so I'm just going to leave that, let that be. Uh, but some things have not gone well for the Pac-12, and unfortunately, despite the fact it's such a beautiful place to live and there's so many beautiful campuses and so many great traditions and so many good academic schools and everything – Bottom line is they're going to get shut out again of this college football playoff, and and I I know we don't talk nearly as much Pac-12 as we do the other conferences on this podcast, and quite frankly, nationally speaking, the Pac-12 does not get the same type of conversation because if you've ever been to Palo Alto, if you've ever been to uh, and I don't want to put Wazoo in that category because they actually have a really really frenetic uh, passionate fan base. Uh, so too does Arizona State, but but there's just there's a different vibe in the left coast. Let's just put it that way. Oh, a lot yeah. of things, a lot of things to do out there. Beautiful part of the country. It, it's just there's nothing. It's not that anything like the SEC or some of the ACC fan bases or Big Ten or Big Twelve. It's it's just different. But they're they're going to have another rough postseason, unfortunately for them. Uh, you mentioned Notre Dame. I I think the other big storyline in the SEC. It's not about a team who won. It's about a team who lost, and that's all. I I think now, and I've been mentioning this for a while about Gus Malzahn. I never thought that love affair was going to last long. You you had two huge wins last year, late in the year, uh, highlighted by, of course, the win over Alabama. And then you had two disappointing losses to finish the season. Meanwhile, you give him in in the area of seven million dollars a year in a contract extension. His agent is Jimmy Sexton. You know anything about Jimmy Sexton? He represents almost every 
SEC coach and several prominent coaches in the country, including Nick Saban. And you had uh, movement with the AD situation there. So basically, he, he's got the president of the school over a barrel, right? I mean, I mean he's just – because once you beat Alabama – now you've got – and you're watching – remember, at the same time as that's going on, we're watching the Tennessee debacle unfold. And every AD and every every school president's worst nightmare is to have anything resembling what happened in Knoxville at that time, where it was just one bad thing after another. They completely botched the entire situation. They're going after coaches who are constantly saying no. Then they get one that says yes. Then there's this – mob of people who want him out and they, they don't want any of that so all of a sudden just just re-signing Gus Malzahn who did take your team to a national championship game who did just beat Alabama's beaten Alabama uh, multiple times during his stay how many coaches can say that uh in mm-hmm. the country and so all right what do you want we want seven point whatever million dollars you got it and so they got it but I was never I know a lot of Auburn fans a lot of them here in Atlanta uh, I never was convinced that Auburn Nation was that wild about Gus Malzahn. And now you have a season like this, and it's not just that they're losing. It's the way that offense looks when they lose, and then you're hearing about someone on the staff leaking information about how there's just complete angst within the ranks. Uh, it, it's not a good look. And if you watch that game against Tennessee, and I'm not taking away anything from Tennessee, congratulations, Jeremy Pruitt. Congratulations to those players. Congratulations to that fan base. God knows you have been overdue for something to cheer about in good old Rocky Top. But that looked like an Auburn team that didn't want to be there, that didn't was not interested in playing, uh, was not overly concerned, and was just thinking, well, this season's already gone south and we're not going to do a whole lot to get it back on track that's what it'll look like if you watch the game and i i just feel like there that feeling of it's the word i'm looking for discontent with gus malzahn could reach a furious pace and now you have some people reporting i mean they're looking at what the buyout is they're talking about the possibility Another couple of losses, and who knows? It, it, it's a it's a rocky situation on the plains right now. Yeah, and you, you got to go at Ole Miss this weekend. Um, a losable game. A losable game because I mean, obviously, you give up 328 passing yards to Jarrett Garantano, and and look, <laughs> no, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I was impressed with the game he played Saturday. I thought uh, he hit his marks. He looked confident. Yep. I think I think Tennessee very quietly with Marquez Callaway, Jawan Jennings, they have good receivers. Um, I, I thought Auburn's defense in the on the back end sort of got exposed a little bit, um, and, and I thought Auburn's offense like didn't even. I mean, they racked up some yards, but I don't think they played uh, with any sort of a sense of urgency. I think Jarrett Stidham sort of is what he is at this point. He's regressed. Um, yeah, he's, he's regressed. It looks like he's kind of mailed it in a little bit, you know. 
Um, he looks like he he does not enjoy playing in that offense at all. He yeah. just wants to he wants to make a phone call to somebody and say, "What can we do to obliterate this offense and play in another one?" Yeah, and and and, and look, he's never really been the traditional Gus Malzahn fit. Uh, I I think as the season went on last year, and Kerry and Johnson blew up and and started running the ball. I mean, you look at that Clemson game. Every game he plays now seems to resemble that game. Now, he's not getting sacked how many times? Ten times like he did last year. Uh, but, I mean, and it just – and you look at the difference between the Auburn offense against Georgia and Bama, and then they had some injuries and what happened when they got to the championship game. You know, I, I just I, – I, I've never really thought as a quarterback that he was a guy that could succeed in that system without the proper pieces around him. But, you know, the narrative at the beginning of the year, and I, I agreed with this, was – well, you shouldn't worry about it because Gus Malzahn always finds a way to run the football. Well, they're 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 above average at running the ball, but that's it. And, and, yeah. and they're not special. And and I, and I think when they're special at running it, you know, they can really get some things good done. They're a hard team to beat. I, I my my question is, you know, look, Tennessee hadn't been scoring points in bunches against anybody, but like UTEP. I, I'm sorry, they didn't even score but 24 against UTEP. Uh, I think. Uh, uh, East Tennessee State, uh, Tennessee scored a bunch against, and um, uh, other than that, no. I mean, the, the Tennessee. I mean, they were talking the other day about, you know, they lost to Georgia thirty-eight to twelve. How, how that was progress, and, and and I'm not saying that Tennessee hasn't gotten better because I, I believe with all of my heart that they have, and congratulations to them. But I mean, you're all, you're supposed to have a top ten defense this year, and you give up thirty at home. Come on, man. Uh, it's it <laughs> battle around, and, and I'll say this: the yes, the old the old line is a problem. Yes, Jarrett Stidham has regressed, um, but I'll tell you what hasn't progressed. That's not even uh, the proper way of saying it, but I'll use it anyway, just to make it rhyme with my previous statement. Um, is Gus Gus's offense? I mean, it, it looks pedestrian. It's just if you actually sit there and watch it. The, the routes the receivers run, the uh, just the lack of wrinkles, the lack of adjustments. It, it's just like, okay, this is what I do, and I'm going to keep doing it. And, and I know Chip Lindsey obviously has input on that, and you know he, technically speaking, he's the OC, but you know how that works. I mean, if, you, you've got a head coach who's been an offensive mind who's, who's, who got that contract because of his – uh, ability over the years to perplex defenses with his scheme. He might have an offensive coordinator under him, but at the end of the day, you're going to do things and uh, run concepts that work within the framework of Gus Malzahn's offense. You're not just going to go ahead and do whatever the hell you want that's completely differing from what he does. It's kind of like being a defensive coordinator for Nick Saban. You're a defensive coordinator for Nick Saban. Great. Guess what? You got this radical thing that you're going to do. It's different from what Nick Saban has done for 30 years and had success with. No, sir. So at the end of the day, Gus Malzahn has his fingerprints all over the offense. It is Gus Malzahn's offense, and that offense looks hapless and very stale, and is not doing anything to kind of help out the situation. Like I get it, Jared Stidham's not a great runner. You you can't you can't have an offense at this level of play in a conference like the SEC where you can't work around that. I mean, he first of all he's not a statue. He can move somewhat. 
you know, is he Michael Vick? No. Uh, but you, you've got to be able to find ways to help him out a little bit. I, I don't see it. I, I don't see it. And I think we haven't, we haven't had much of the, you know, last year, if you go back to the start, we knew, we talked about it. There was like a handful, half a dozen coaches in the hot seat. Like it was going to be a turbulent season. It was going to be a season of anxiety for a lot of schools and a lot of coaches in the Southeastern Conference. This year, not so much. I mean, who would have thought that we'd even be talking about Gus after just signing a contract extension and beating Alabama? Uh, everybody, you had so many changes. You have six new head coaches in the league. So who are you going to fire? Like, there's no, I mean, some people, I guess, would, would beat the, the Mark Stoops drum at Kentucky. Well, guess what? They're having a, a breakthrough year. If, if anything, you're giving that man a raise. You're not thinking of firing him. Mm-hmm. And there's always the Derek Mason at Vanderbilt talk and you know, that might be legitimate. It might not be legitimate, but either way, it doesn't move the needle, so it's not even uh, worth discussing a whole lot. But but this is something now where it could be a very long month for Gus Malzahn. And I, I all I would say for Gus to feel good about stuff, beat Ole Miss. <laughs> do not, do, don't lose that game. Do not lose that game because I, I think it could get – be it could be really ugly in a real hurry and Auburn's one of those schools you know JC they got some big boosters with a lot of clout that can make things happen in a short amount of time you know, like every school's got like their their people that donate a lot of money and they they like to talk big and think that they any they could just snap their fingers and make a coaching change and at the end of the day they, they're really not that powerful they're really not that important you're, you're one of thousands that gives money to the school, and we're not going to let you dictate. Auburn has always had that reputation of there's a few people out there that can really make make good on something real fast. And I just wonder if they start going, continue to go downhill, if something can happen real fast. $38 million, though. Man. I know. It's a ton. And, and look, I, I fault Gus Malzahn for this. I, look, I, I'm sorry. I I don't fault Gus Malzahn for walking away with $38 million. And if any school is going to do it, it's going to be Auburn. And you're right. And look, Gus Malzahn, unlike maybe a Tommy Tuberville, who, you know, when he would hit maybe a disappointing season or something, you know, he was a guy that was, you know, out at the the local hangouts and stuff. And I'm reading this from Brandon Marcello from Auburn Undercover. You know, and he points it out good, and I've heard this too. You know, Tuberville was a likable guy. You know, Tommy Tuberville is still a guy people like around the state of Alabama and around the SEC and um, and all that. Malzahn, and I've heard this from a lot of different people that have worked for him, know him, played for him, whatever. He's not. He's a robot. He's a guy that's he, – he doesn't fit the personality of the Auburn – you know, of your typical, I mean, he's not going to go glad hand anybody. No. And, and that's going to, you know, so when you're he's looking not at, folksy, I think that's the word you're he, looking he's for. He's a hundred percent. It's his employment is a hundred percent based on employment at a, and achieving at a high level winning mm-hmm. game. In other IE winning games. Right. And, um, you know, the, uh, that's what they say. You know, if, if you don't have the personality and you're not folksy and you can't kind of glad hand your way, then you better be really, really good at your job. And, and I blame him, too, because he could have gotten out while the getting was good. He could have gone and gotten the Texas job easily um, when they hired Charlie Strong. 
Uh, of course, they just put Auburn had just played for an, an improbable national championship. He could have gone and he could have gotten Arkansas and gone home. Um, and he elected to stay. And and this should and, and look nothing against Auburn. I have plenty of Auburn friends. I I, I love the school. I, I I you know I have I have no issue with how they do their business because it's quite frankly impressive. Um, you know because they're committed to winning at the highest level. Period. End of story. End of discussion. Um, but you have to know, Tommy Tuberville went 14-0. Should have played for a national championship. That was one of those BCS blunders you talked about. That, That's right. A yes. team with Carnell Williams and Ronnie Brown would have at least played SC closer that, than 36 the, to watching yeah. freaking Oklahoma play him again. That team had four first-round draft picks, by yes. the way. Yes, I mean, you know that 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 they would have given that SC. I don't know that they would have won, but they would have given that SC team a uh, a game, in my opinion. That was two thousand and four. Okay, he's out. Shortly thereafter, gone, gone after after a, an ill advised five and seven season. I know so, where you're going with this. So then they are Gene Chizik. <laughs> Nice guy, you know. Uh, actually, Gus Malzahn, Cam Newton, great, you know. <laughs> Wins a national champ, a national championship, and, and not only a national championship, Mike. They won a national championship in the year after Alabama had won their first one in seventeen years. Mm-hmm. It's, it was the greatest, you know, renaissance of all time. He did it in his second year. Newton wins the Heisman. Uh, Auburn's, you know, at the top of the world. Well, uh, then Malzahn leaves after the next year, goes, takes Arkansas State, and he hires Scott Luffler, who's one of the worst coordinators in the history of college football, <laughs> and Brian Van Gorder, who I've never seen a, a defensive coordinator star fall um, over the period of 15 years as much as his. And his mustache. Uh, yeah, he, he's now the D.C. at Louisville. Oh, boy, they're good. Um <laughs> And, and and that didn't work, you know, and, and so he's out. He goes winless in the SEC. I think they've given Gus Malzahn, given all of the eight and five-ish, seven and six-ish type of years that they've had when they've been ranked highly in the country at the beginning of the year. Um, and if you look at it, you look, Auburn's preseason rank is, is most years, not all, but most years has typically been a lot higher than how they finish. I mean, and really, last year, after you beat the two teams that play for the that are going to play for the national championship back to back, and then you go lay an egg against one of those same teams, and I know it's hard to beat a team twice in three weeks, but come on, man. I mean, you're going up and down the field on them one week, and the next week you can't score because you're so dependent on this, that, and the other, and you lose to Georgia. And I can I can excuse the UCF loss because Auburn didn't want to be there. Just like against Tennessee this past weekend, they didn't want to be mm-hmm. there. Um, you know, that was really disconcerting. You know, you had it, you had it in your grasp. You were the best team in college football for two or three weeks, and then you let Georgia just run all over you in the championship game and beat you because you can't. You know, your offense is inconsistent. Well, so then this season starts pretty well with a win over Washington, but. 
You know, what does that mean? All right, then you're up 21 to 10 on LSU. And for the second straight year, you blow a double-digit lead against LSU. And Joe Burrow leads a passing extravaganza and comes back and beats you in your own house. Kevin Steele, by the way, is a very overrated defensive coordinator. Always has been, always will be. Gave up 70 at Clemson. That's why Dabo fired him. And obviously, Brent Venables is... You know, the trajectory of that defense has gone up. I know he worked at Alabama, but I think we all know Saban called that defense when he was there. You know, he's gone back and forth, back and forth. I I don't think the guy – I think the guy, when he has good players, is really good. I think when he doesn't have good players, he's not. Or when his good players aren't playing at a high level, he doesn't really know what to do how to scheme people up. Because there's no way on God's green earth Tennessee should have put that many yards passing up on that defense. None. Zero. No excuse. With that line and Jarrett Garitano back, I mean, look, no, no excuse. They didn't try. He got exposed. He's And he's gotten exposed this year just like the offense. Okay? So, it, Auburn, to me, has given Gus Malzahn a longer leash than they would have had most of these coaches. And he had to have known that when he kept insisting on staying at Auburn. Look, you're not, you have no ties to Auburn other than you were there under Chiswick. He gave you a big break. Uh, obviously, you're going you're gonna to take that job if you're coaching Arkansas State and they want you. you know, obviously, you're there. You know, you're, you coached most of your high school career in Arkansas, in Northwest Arkansas, where, where you're beloved. Where you, if you could go win 7 to 10 a year, and be a tough out and recruit well in that state and put together a staff. They're gonna you're gonna be the coach at Arkansas for ten years. You're gonna have a Houston Nut type uh, tenure at Arkansas. And Houston Nut did pretty well there, by the way. Or, or or why didn't you take Texas? I mean, you know, you know the history, Gus. You know, you know. One day you may you may have a job. One day you may not. I mean, you know, why not ride off into the sunset in the next chapter of your life rather than like clinging, clinging to that job like a drunk man at Waffle House clings to the double patty melt. That's what you're doing. No, don't take my patty melt. Don't take my lovely Auburn job. Auburn's a great job. But, hell, Texas isn't a good job. Arkansas's not a good job. Come on, man. I I, I don't get it. And and I I put just as much, I, I mean, like I said, it's hard for me to, I mean, look, go take your $38 million and go to the beach. But, you know, if he gets run out of Auburn in disgrace, this is his fault because you have to know the history of the program. And he has had ample opportunity when his name was hot to leave. It, it's interesting to me, by the way, if you, if you Google Gus Malzahn, the first thing that comes up is contract buyout. Like they like literally that's <laughs> that's become the number one subject line with Gus. I don't blame Gus for not taking the Arkansas job because I just looking where Arkansas is, uh, I, I, that might be home, but that's a rebuild. I, I think Chad Morris is a good coach that might do good things, but they're not doing anything of significance for the next three years. That that's how far Arkansas is away. And in addition, no one has been able to solve the riddle as to how does Arkansas truly become a perennial contender in the SEC West? Because you're at a disadvantage in recruiting. You're at a disadvantage uh, in, 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 that you, in the division that you play is the toughest division in college football. You're at a disadvantage in that your predecessors, other than Bobby Petrino for a short window of time, have not been able to solve the riddle since they joined the league in 92, and the league's only gotten 
particularly that division has gotten a hundred times better since '92, because every coach there, you know, there's there's no uh, Curly Holmans uh, out there these days. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just it's a, it's a different deal. Just like in the East, there's no more Ray Golfs. So that that era of just uh, of of those type of hires is done in this conference. So I, I can understand not taking that. Look, I mean, he felt, if you're confident in your abilities, and I'm sure Gus is, he felt like, I, I just beat Alabama. I've played for a national championship. I've done some good things here, and Auburn is a really good job. So I don't blame him, honestly, for not leaving. But the blame for them not succeeding this year and, and looking the way they have and that offense not progressing – that is on Gus, and I, I was listening to an interview with a couple of cohorts, uh, uh, Cole Kublick and Tom Luganbill, and they were kind of breaking down film. Of course, Cole was a former offensive lineman at Auburn, and Tom Luganbill is a former quarterback at Georgia Tech and a former coach, and they're just sitting there, and they're just amazed at how stale that offense has looked. Uh, and like you said, Gus is not, you know, he's not a rah-rah guy. Gus is not going to give you the win-win for the Gipper speech. Gus's success and his strength as a head coach is I am going to out-scheme you. That is that – is, you you can come up with any defense out there. Good luck trying to out-scheme me. And for a while there, that held true. You know, for a while there, it was looking pretty good. It's not now. And whether whether it's $36 million or $45 million, whatever – the buyout is, I, I believe it's 36, um, at least according to the 27 articles that came out <laughs> right after that Tennessee loss on <laughs> Gus's buyout. Whatever it is, if Auburn really wants him gone, I promise you that money will be spent. Like the, the, the checks will come in, that will be covered. And then, of course, question number two is going to be uh, who do you give that next check to? Because I don't know if there is a natural, and I don't want to get into that now. I don't want to speculate on a job that's far from being open. But, uh, but that obviously that's what the brain trust over there at Auburn has to think. Because, like you said, they have disposed of some coaches in a hurry that have had success at Auburn. Uh, one of whom is is now on television after winning a national championship. And I think most people look at Gene Chizik's run. Most Auburn fans do, and the reason why they don't regret that move is they say, "Well, he had Cam Newton." And he had Gus Malzahn, who was the hot play caller at the time, and they had a bunch of athletes. And, and Gene just did a good enough job uh, to win it without getting in the way. That's not fair necessarily. That's just the way Auburn fans thought about it. And uh, th- I don't think they batted an eye when they made that move. Um, I'm not sure if they bat an eye if they make a move here, to be honest with you, even though he's had success and he's he's done some good things there. I think his overall record at Auburn is forty nine and twenty five. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a troublesome situation. And there was a lot of angst about Gus going into last year. But then again, you pick up a couple of wins against your rivals. You know, you beat a, a, a very good uh, Alabama team, and that gives you a lot of collateral if you're the head coach of Auburn. But I, I just I think it's gonna be an interesting situation. I am now like more more glued to that Auburn Ole Miss game than ever before. Mm-hmm. I think I guess I think that's I think that's ultra intriguing. Anyway, all right, enough about Auburn. 
because there are other things going on. But that is the most precarious situation right now in the SEC, I would have to say by far. By the way, they have Mississippi State coming up. Uh, excuse me, they have uh, Ole, Miss. Ole Miss coming up. But then you look at the rest of their schedule, and there <laughs> is Georgia, and there is Texas uh, Alabama, A&M. and there is Texas A&M. I mean, you, you, see where, you see why the Ole Miss game is so big, because if you lose that, it could spiral out of control in a hurry. And, and they'd, uh, they'd have to fire him if he, if he, if he has a losing season, I, I think. I would opinion. be shocked if he if he's yes. If I he would survived be shocked a losing still there. season. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, I don't even know if he can survive six and six, seven and five. Because seven <sighs> and five just is not good enough at Auburn. Um, not, not this year. Gonna, yeah, and you're gonna lose you know, you're gonna lose your quarterback and I I don't know. Uh, that's you know what I always wonder, like, okay, if we took the money completely out of the equation, which obviously you can't, let's just say there was no buyout. Would there be any question if they went seven and five, that you'd make a change. Kevin Steele may be the interim head coach right now. If um, that would make sense, if the money wasn't if the money wasn't an issue, they may they may just kick Gus to the curb. Yeah, already. I mean, because look, I mean, you've got look the LSU loss was one thing. Then you struggle with Southern Miss, who's not. We're not talking about Curly Holman Southern Miss to, <laughs> to bring him up twice in a podcast. Um, and. Uh, you know, you struggle with Southern Miss, and then Mississippi State has 41 minutes time of possession on you, and Nick Fitzgerald runs for 195 yards because Joe Moorhead goes, well, this is – Joe Moorhead figures out this is not working with this offense. We just need to, you know, simplify things and let Nick Fitzgerald run wild, and they beat you 23-9. Okay, so you lose to Mississippi State, which you normally don't do. So that's disconcerting. Tennessee comes in, and look – there have been some good signs in the Georgia game. I thought Tennessee did some good things. Garantano did some good things. There were signs of life there. Still a 38 to 12 game. This team still got blown out 47-21 by Florida on its home field. This team still got blown out by West Virginia. Okay. And so then they come in and they beat you. And they not only beat you, Mike. It was the final score was 30 to 24, but it was 30 to 17. Uh, until a garbage touchdown made it a six-point game late. You know, I mean, it, the Vols dominated that game. And, and every time Auburn got a little bit of momentum, including at the start of the game, Tennessee responded. And and, and so there's just something more to that. But, no, I, I think he would be gone if the buyout was not there. What does this mean for Tennessee? I mean, how how big a win is this? Obviously, it's it's euphoric for like six days. But but what do we? I think Garantano's ahead of Felipe Franks, by the way, as a passer. Yeah. And I never. Th- I didn't think I'd say that. But watching both, of, I know Felipe Franks. They wound up winning. He made two ridiculously bad turnovers earlier in that game to help put them in a twenty-one-three hole. Uh, he still struggles to read defenses. He still struggles to be accurate. Garantano, I can actually see legitimate progress as a passer there. Mm-hmm. So maybe they do actually have a quarterback in Knoxville. But what does it mean moving forward? Well, I, I think it's going to, you know, obviously Alabama is really, really good. Um, and uh, I think Alabama is going to want to come up there. And, you know, this, the, the bad thing about this, this rivalry is it's still a rivalry. And still the guys from Alabama take it as such. And they play this game very, very hard, as do the kids from Tennessee. And there have been some close games over the years. I mean, Lane Kiffin. Almost knocked off uh, Nick Saban's team in 09. 
they, they lined up for a field goal and had it blocked. Um, in 2015, Butch Jones took the Vols down there, and they almost beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Now, when the games have been in Knoxville, Bama's been pretty much dominant. But the, the problem is, is you're, you're not going to catch Alabama sleeping on you if you're Tennessee, like Auburn, you know, uh, sort of did. Um, still, it's going to be a big crowd, 110,000 at Neyland Stadium. It, it is a rivalry game. Jeremy Pruitt obviously is familiar with Bama's personnel. Um, you know, but but I, I think for those re- – it almost works against Tennessee – that you got Jeremy Pruitt on your sideline and a bunch of uh, you know former Bama guys with Bama ties, and then on the other sideline you have Butch Jones, who's a analyst. Yes, he is. He'll Alabama. be there in Alabama gear. And so uh, you know, I almost think that, that you don't want to poke the bear. Uh, no pun intended, because we're talking about Bama in this situation. <laughs> but but what I do think it means is is that South Carolina game in two weeks in Columbia, that's a series that no matter how good or bad either team is, it's usually a three- to six-point ball game. Um, it, it is a night game in Columbia, but the Gamecocks are three and three. And, you know, Tennessee is not going to think twice about going in there and, and trying to pull a win. Um, You know, Kentucky is a team they've owned over the years. Missouri. I mean, the schedule lightens up. They have Charlotte. You know, so getting to a bowl game now, sitting at 3-3, and um, is a realistic deal, even if you do lose to Alabama. And and I think that, you know, a a stellar, you know, a showing kind of like Missouri had against the Tide the other night, uh, I think keeps, keeps Tennessee confident. Uh, heading into the stretch run where, you know, there are some realistic chances to win. Uh, and, and I think if Garantano continues to play like that, they have the talent at receiver, they have a good enough offensive line, serviceable enough running backs, uh, and enough guys on defense. I mean, it's not it's not ideal, but it's, there's enough guys on defense to where they can, they can win some games and, and have a surprising yeah. year. And we thought they were a – I mean, they weren't just getting beat. They were getting blown out against every right. good team they played. I, I want to see. Look, I was I was more disappointed in Auburn than I was impressed in Tennessee. Not to take away anything from Jeremy Pruitt, who every time I hear him on a post game press conference, I mean he is selling. He knows that the, the the sales pitch is not for this year. It's he he's he's talking to potential recruits. He's letting you know Tennessee's back. He's letting you know the program is there and and we're building. And he's he's a great sales pitch guy. He's always been a good recruiter, and that's part of the reason why they hired him. I, I'm not completely sold just based on this. You mentioned the South Carolina game. I want to see what they do there. That The schedule does lighten up uh, toward the end of the year. Let, let's see if they can pick up another one of those swing game wins, which Auburn now would be considered a swing game because Auburn's in a bit of a tailspin. So we'll see uh, what happens there. By the way, I've got my stopwatch out. I feel in the in the essence of fair time, we got to give at least thirty seconds to Alabama football coverage, <laughs> uh, and and I say this, Alabama fans, no hate on this end. The problem is you guys have made it so boring because you're just that much better than everybody else. So here we go, thirty seconds, and I've got my stopwatch out here on the cell phone, and go. Okay, JC, Alabama football, once again dominating victory against Missouri. Gave Missouri a little bit of life in the first half. Drew Locke made a couple of key passes, but they also forced Locke into a couple of turnovers. Tua was Tua. 
Eventually he tweaked his knee, and then Jalen Hurts came in. It didn't matter. They still dominated the second half. Alabama's great. you got 10 seconds left. I believe in many ways that your analysis of Alabama is correct. I am curious to see who they start at quarterback against the Vols this weekend because there's some talk, you know, if Tua, you know, isn't completely healthy, maybe they start Jalen Hurts, which in my opinion would be a mistake. I, you know, you don't want to go up there and get in a dog fight uh, with Tennessee. Um, and I'm not saying they do that if Jalen Hurts starts because Jalen Hurts just a good quarterback in his own right. But – I just I don't I don't know I think if two is able to go he's the starting quarterback and you need to sort of play him so all right we we went over there we're over by fifteen seconds we gave you forty five seconds of hard hard hitting hardcore Alabama analysis uh, and I'm with you they could, they could very well start hurt I mean it all depends on the knee mm-hmm. I uh, my my. My decision on that would be based purely on just how serious it is because they're going to beat Tennessee regardless. Um, but if you feel like you're coming up on a bye week after that game, if you feel like the, the knee, if it could further be tweaked, then maybe they don't start him. Uh, or you just give Jalen Hurts, you start him, but you give Jalen Hurts several more reps than you ordinarily have. That's a possibility as well. Again, it's Alabama's world, and we're all just living in it. So they can decide whatever they want to do at quarterback because they're Alabama. Yeah, it's like, well, we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll, maybe we'll start this guy who's 26 and 2 as a starter. Nah, all right, we'll, we'll start perhaps the. Uh, best quarterback that the SEC has seen in, at least in a decade. Hmm. I think I, I think there's a little bit of hyperbole. I mean, look, I've been on the Tua bandwagon. I told you all off season, this is not even a race. Tua is a much better quarterback based on what I saw and based on what I've been told from people inside that program. There, there, this was not even a close race. But before we call him the best quarterback in the history of the SEC, uh. let's pump let's pump the brakes a little. I've heard that far too many times from talking heads who watch seven college football games a year and consider themselves uh, worthy enough to, to weigh in on this issue. There have been a few guys that can sling it that have come through the SEC. Love Tua. He's, he's my, I'm a Heisman voter. I've pretty much already got it written down in the, on my ballot that he's going to win, barring some ridiculous uh, set of circumstances. But let's pump the brakes on I've never seen anybody like this. There's been some pretty good guys, not only in the SEC, but in college football as a whole, that have been able to do that. He's remarkably accurate. He also has the best supporting cast in college football and one of the best supporting offensive casts in, in you could say, maybe in the history of the SEC when you look at what Alabama has in terms of weaponry. So, yeah, he's fantastic. There's not enough accolades I can throw. I just hesitate. I balk when somebody says he's the best of all time. Easy, easy. Take a do a Google's, do a Wikipedia. Look at some of the people that have played in this league before. Um, don't just throw that out there after like eight games that he's the best quarterback in the history of the league. All right. Anything else you want to hit on on the past before we look ahead to the present? Nah, that's uh, that was pretty much it. Um, yeah. As far as last week goes, it was interesting, and uh, certainly some teams, uh, some teams are in trouble. We we didn't mention one more thing: Penn State losing to Michigan State, blowing another lead. That was tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but you got to watch Sparty. Sparty will come up and bite you if you let them. Yeah, it's that's a it's an extremely disappointing loss for Penn State, uh, and and s- on your home field. 
I know you got to watch out for Sparty, but man, that's this is not a good Michigan State team. This is not this is not one of the better D'Antonio teams. Uh, that one is a is a head scratcher, and you're right. That certainly deserves to be mentioned. And you can kick Penn State completely off the island. The island is getting thinner and thinner as we speak, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But now let's head to the present. As I mentioned, this is not a great slate of games. Uh, when when we are when game when college game day is in Pullman, Washington. That tells you something. When, by the way, the first time, and I'm happy for the folks at uh, at Washington State. Uh, I, I think that's, uh, I think I said uh, Wazoo in terms of UW earlier. My apologies if I did that. A little Pac-12 brain freeze. But uh, Wazoo is a cool place with a cool fan base and a, and a very uh, likable slash entertaining head coach and, and Mike Leach. So uh, I'm glad to see their they're getting some love, but that does give you an idea of what we're looking at. Yeah. When, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, no, I was gonna the the the, the flag, you know, the guy that flies the oh, Washington yeah. State, old gray or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and I've been to Pullman before. It's beautiful, beautiful country. Eastern Washington's pretty. It's interesting because it's Mike. You go ten miles to the east and you cross into the Idaho border. And you yeah, I had never been to Idaho before, so I, I drove down there just to say, you know, cross off another state. Sure. And that's where the University of Idaho is, Moscow, Idaho. How about that? So the they're, Vandals. They're, yeah, they're, they're almost like as close as Duke and North Carolina, those two schools. Yes. Uh, yes. And you wouldn't think about that because it's Washington State, University of Idaho. Um, and, and so that's one unique part of it. Another thing is the John Candy film. I think Dan Aykroyd was in it too, Volunteers. Or was that Bill Murray? Or what? Uh, I thought you were going to say The Great Outdoors. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, John Candy... I think Bill Murray, John Candy, Bill Murray, John Candy was in it. It was called Volunteers. <laughs> uh, no, John Candy and Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Oh yeah, well, there's a reason why you're struggling to come out with that because that that movie was about a half a star, and it's hard to make a <laughs> Volunteers. John Candy. That was an epic, uh, an epic movie. <laughs> it's hard um, to screw up a script when you got John Candy, one of the funniest comedians and comedic actors of our time, and Tom Hanks. And Tom who, Hanks who's turned into like an Oscar winner, which we never would have thought that when he was dressing up uh, as a female in bosom buddies. I guess Splash. now that's, yeah, I guess now that show, that show would, would not even like uh, nobody would bat an eye at it. But uh, yeah, not, I, I remember the movie, not exactly one of the better. I thought you were going with John Candy and Dan Aykroyd, which is also kind of a, I could see them filming that type of movie in eastern Washington or in Idaho. They didn't film it there. They didn't film it there, okay. They didn't well, film it there. Uh, John Candy's character was Tom Tuttle from Tacoma, Washington, and he was a Washington State. Wow. <laughs> This was he's, in the movie. He sucked the Washington State fight song. And then there, oh, there's you gotta these, love that. These communist guerrillas that he sort of gets uh, radicalized by, and he leads them in some sort of weird battle at the end, and they're coming around the corner in the truck, and they're all singing the Washington State fight song. So oh, yeah. th that's another great thing about Washington State. John Candy sung okay. the fight song because he was Tom Tuttle from Tacoma. Tacoma. Uh, in that movie, and was a Wazoo graduate, but I, I'm I'm extremely happy that uh, they they're getting game day, and that that's a good big game, you know, between that they're 25th in the country, and then Oregon yeah. uh, obviously is off to a good start too. 
you know, we're down. I think I heard uh, somebody talking about this. We're down to like a dozen Power Five schools that have never uh, have never had College Game Day on their campus for the show. You know, I mean, schools. I think like Illinois, Wait, uh, Wake Forest has to be there. Wake. Oh, there's a lot of ACC schools. Wake Forest, Syracuse. Believe it or not, has never had it. Um, I'm sure there was a uh, there, there were at least a handful of ACC schools. I don't think Duke's ever had it, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe anyway. Virginia at some point. Maybe I don't know. Charlottesville. Gosh, they, Charlottesville's they, a pretty cool town. Played some big games. Uh, did they have College Game Day on campus in 19? 19- 89 because oh, no 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 that was before if, the show if they did yeah they had because if that year they played uh they had two huge home games with clemson and georgia tech yeah the, the show started in the early 90s and they started trap the first game they traveled to is florida state notre dame in 93 and then uh then they started doing it on a regular basis somewhere around 95 give or take and then they realized oh my goodness we've struck gold and they have i mean and i don't not trying to sound like a corporate shill here, but it is by far and away the best pregame show of any sport on any network. Others have tried to compete with it, and they've just gotten pummeled because there's there's nothing that beats it. Uh, the concept of going on a college campus and having fans put up signs and they get creative with those signs. Um, the, the the going making the smooth transition from Fowler to Davis, Herb Street is terrific. You know, Lee Corso, obviously, you know, he's had some health issues, but from an entertainment standpoint, he still brings you a lot. Uh, they're, they're bit players like a David Pollock does, a, I think, a really good job. That's just it is. I, I can't imagine Saturday mornings waking up and not watching it. That's just like a ritual for me. Um, and so they, they just they struck gold. And sometimes in, in TV and in broadcasting, things happen like that on, on accident. They didn't know that this was going to be this humongous success. I think when the show started, it might have been it's either a half hour or an hour. And it was in studio and it was stuffy and it was not a big deal. And then it's just kind of uh, exploded into what it is today. So they'll be out in Pullman. Uh, Clem- and, and the other like headliner game, you could argue, is Clemson-NC State. Clemson's a 17-point favorite in that game. And let me just tell you, NC State's undefeated, so we can sell the fact that they still have a chance to get to the playoff, et cetera, et cetera. They're 5-0. and This might be the least impressive 5-0 and from a Power 5 team that I can recall in a while. They defeated James Madison, Georgia State, Marshall, Virginia, and Boston College by five points. Now, they had a game against West Virginia on the books, and that was unfortunately canceled. If Had that been played, that would have been, as they like to say, another data point. But we didn't get that data point. We are going to get a data point against Clemson, and I have a feeling that data point is going to be a lopsided loss, and we can put NC State back into the abyss and, and focus on one team out of the ACC by far and away the best, and that's the Clemson Tigers. Yeah, this game got a little chippy last year because you had that idiotic Dave Doran laptop comment. And uh, Here's the thing, though. NC State, there are very few offensive coordinators that have, I don't want to say had, had Brent Venable's number, but they've been able to do some things against his defenses. Uh, I don't want to say exploit, but uh, move the ball. Uh, one's Jimbo Fisher, the other one's uh, Dino Babers or whoever's calling plays at Syracuse, and the other one's uh, Eli Drinkwitz, the offensive coordinator at NC State. Because the last two years, this has been a touchdown game. 
And in 2016, the Tigers should have lost that football game. Uh, it was a 17-17 tie. And NC State's lining up to kick a 24-yard field goal, and the kid choked and missed it. So it goes yeah. to overtime. Clemson wins in overtime 24-17. Last year, NC State gave Clemson all they wanted in Raleigh and more. It was Clemson's closest ACC game of the year, 38-31. Uh, Drinkwitz calling the plays in that one had Clemson's defense off balance just about the whole day. There were some big special teams plays. Now, sometimes, Mike, you'll see this. You'll see a team give another give a power team, you know, a, a lot of trouble for a couple of years. And then, you know, that, that team that gives that team trouble, they have a couple of good seasons. And then it gets to the, a, a year where that team that sort of gives the power team all, that, all those problems, they're undefeated and they're ranked and they're in the playoff hunt. And then all of a sudden it's not about, oh, let's go and uh, – give Clemson some trouble, it's like, oh, my God, this is a showdown of unbeatens, and they just get waxed. So I'm leaning with you, even though this has been a close game the last couple of years, uh, that Clemson routes them. Um, and you, you bet you that, you know, Dabo looking at his schedule, I mean, <laughs> they beat Wake Forest 63-3, and then they have an off week. And, and you can guarantee – that he's building this thing up to be the Super Bowl, especially with what what's happened in the last two years and what what's happened this year. And this is a this is a game with a, a name. It's called the Textile Bowl. It's what they call it uh, in the Carolinas, NC State and Clemson, the Textile Bowl. So it's uh, uh, it's going to be a big atmosphere at Death Valley. I just I'm just a little hesitant to say NC State's going to give Clemson a run for its money for a third straight year. I am as well. I I don't honestly. I don't even think this game is is that close. I don't think it's a four quarter game, um, and we can put we can put NC State to bed, and we can continue uh, the narrative that that Clemson has one of the easiest paths to the college football playoff. Uh, a team that doesn't have an easy path to the playoff is Oklahoma. They're at TCU. They really need obviously they need to win this game to to, to stay breathing. In the Big Twelve, you could make an argument wants Oklahoma to keep winning and then beat Texas because they don't have a bad loss uh, on their resume. Their one loss, of course, is to Texas. So whereas Texas has a loss to Maryland, if it came down to, for example, a Big 12 champ in Notre Dame, uh, the team that would be ranked higher in terms of all the polls and everything else, I'm being presumptuous here, but I, I think it would be Oklahoma uh, but first things first, it's always dangerous to play at TCU. You never want to play a Gary Patterson team when they're down, and um, that game could be a little bit concerning. We already talked about Auburn and Ole Miss, and then there's Mississippi State at LSU. This is a big game for Mississippi State. Big game for Nick Fitzgerald. I mean, Nick Fitzgerald has really been humbled this year, and his lack of passing <clears throat> has been exposed. Uh, we all know he's a great runner, but again, at some point, you have to be able – to be able to make throws uh, and throws out of the pocket, and that hasn't worked real well in Joe Moorhead's system. Uh, this could be the landmark win that Mississippi State desperately needs this year to avoid what has been an otherwise disappointing season. And for LSU, you know, can they keep the momentum train going? Uh, Mississippi State won this game last year, thirty-seven to seven in Starkville. That was that, and the Troy loss were kind of, you know, black marks on on the Orgeron deal. Um. I don't know. I, I I think because of what happened last year, this won't be a letdown type of game for LSU. I think they'll be fired up. It's at home. 
Um, and Mississippi State's one-dimensional, and, and I think Dave Aranda and Ed Orgeron and those defensive coaches are going to scheme them up just like they kind of did Georgia and say, hey, you know, you want to you want to beat us? We're not going to let you run all over us. We're going to um, we're going to you know try to see if uh, if you can throw it a little bit and try. Good luck against our secondary. LSU's offensive line. I mean, I'm sorry, Mississippi State's offensive line isn't as good as Georgia's either. So I think I think Mississippi State's going to struggle uh, to score points in this football game. But I also say I think Mississippi State's defense is still pretty salty and uh, could make some good things happen, and, and we may see a, a low-scoring type of game. But I, I think LSU takes it, in yeah. my opinion. But it is, it is it's, an, it's another important game. But probably, for my money, it's probably the best matchup uh, in the SEC uh, this weekend, uh, all things considered. I don't, I don't think there's any question. And I think it should be a winnable game for Mississippi State. Uh, they they just got to figure things out on offense, and again, Fitzgerald has got to step up his play. You're talking about a guy who was a Heisman candidate at the beginning of the year, and you look at his numbers, and it's it's been a, like I said, it's been a humbling campaign. Any under the radar games that uh, strike your fancy? I'm gonna say this: Michigan, Michigan State at high noon in mm-hmm. East Lansing. Uh, Harbaugh struggled against the Spartans. Yeah, and D'Antonio has had Michigan's number. True and true. Remember that speech? It'll never be over. As long as I'm the coach, it'll never be over. You know, he's uh, and, and they've had some rotten luck against Sparty and and, and other games just not played well. Uh, I think you know Michigan's sitting at six. They only have the loss to Notre Dame. Uh, you know, big win over Wisconsin last week, 38-13. They're scoring points now. They're playing defense. Michigan State with a big win too. That had to give them some confidence. But you know. The knock on Harbaugh around uh, Michigan has been, you know, can't win the big game, the quote-unquote big games, which are the games like when they play Notre Dame, that's a big game. Michigan State every year is a big game. Ohio State is a big game. Um, And so that's a big game uh, in East Lansing. And if Harbaugh wins, I think that kind of gets some – I'm not going to say he's got – I don't think that guy ever feels pressure, but I think that kind of, you know – puts down a little bit of a narrative uh, if they can go in there and, and get a big win uh, against the Spartans. And it's one of those Big Ten games. Hopefully the weather's cooler up there. It will um, be. And it'll be nice and cool, and it'll really feel mm-hmm. like football. Those noon Big Ten kickoffs when everybody's bundled up and you, mm-hmm. can, you can almost just smell the bourbon coming out of the stands or the beer, you know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's um, it, it, that's, a, that's a huge ball game for Michigan, in my opinion, in terms of – you know, will they be a? Will they get to the game at the end of the year with Ohio right. State uh, with a playoff berth on the line? Very, very good point, and certainly something to look out for. Uh, before we get into the rest of the future aspect of the podcast, I want to mention BPSkinnerClothiers.com. He's the he's the present and the future. The future for all of you that want to have uh, the highest quality. Uh, custom-made clothing suits, shirts, accessories, you name it. Brent Skinner is the guy. I can just tell you simply put, I get more compliments on what I wear now than I ever have before. And I know it's not because of anything I'm doing with my hair or skin care or anything else. It's because of the duds. It's because of Brent. Brent's going to make you look better. He's going to make you feel better. And he's going to save it's going to make your life more convenient because you don't have to go to some store to do all this. He's kind of come to you, as he does with so many people across the country, whether you're an uh, insurance salesman, an accountant, 
Uh, if you're on television, if you're in the public light, whatever the case may be, go to bpskinnerclothiers.com and set up an appointment. bpskinnerclothiers.com. I just had a guy at a sportscaster the other day call up and say, I, I need that Brent guy's name and number. I want to go ahead and make the switch. I've heard nothing but great things. Well, here it is, bpskinnerclothiers.com. You'll see the number right there on the website. You tell him you want an appointment. He's going to drive to your home or office with just absolute briefcases full of clothing samples, going to measure you up. That's all you got to do. You just show up and pick the stuff you want, and it'll be delivered to you in a short amount of time. It's bpskinnerclothiers.com. Brent Skinner does an outstanding job. Uh, I love to use the survivor analogy when it comes to the playoff, J.C., and we keep kicking off. We mentioned the Pac-12 earlier. Thanks for playing. Uh, Georgia right now needs they, they basically have to run the table if they're going to get in I, I, I don't you can if you're really creative you can find another path to get there but this is not when it's a 14 playoff it's really not it's checkers more than it is chess you don't have to be like the brightest bulb to figure all this out you got Clemson in the ACC right now you got Ohio State in the Big Ten uh, the Big 12 is going to come down to Texas Oklahoma almost uncertainly uh, and then you've got Alabama in the SEC. We, we've got a few scenarios where other teams get in. You've got Michigan. Uh, somebody from the, you know, again, if Georgia ran the table and then beat Alabama, if LSU beat Alabama and then won the SEC, that's always a possibility. But honestly, I mean, we're down to about seven teams that legitimately have a chance at the playoff right now. Yeah, I mean, all right. So, so Oregon, all right. Oregon has one loss in overtime to Stanford at home. They're they're you know a top ten team by all accounts, but they don't have a really good non conference schedule. And the Pac twelve is the Pac twelve. They are going to have to, you know, have some other teams lose. And and, and the cabal. <laughs> I'm going to call them the cabal because it's what they are at the top. Buckeyes, Crimson Tide, Clemson Tigers, cabal, all three of them. Um, one of those teams is going to have to lose, and, and maybe Ohio State even would have to take, like, lost to mid Like, they would have to lose, get upset by somebody, and then also lose to Michigan um, because I'm not so sure if Michigan beats them depending on what happens elsewhere, that a one-loss Ohio State still doesn't get in. And we have two Big Ten teams, which I didn't think I would be saying after the first week of the season. That's if Notre Dame loses. I am I am not including Notre Dame in the cabal right now. Now, Notre Dame has to lose, don't get me wrong. But right. I have a better feeling about them losing. And at Notre Dame fans, I wasn't saying that I, I would have a good feeling if you lost. I really – I actually hope you don't. But – with the way they've kind of been, you know, against certain teams, they kind of struggle. I mean, like this Florida State game coming up November 10th, we know Florida State struggled. We know that they, uh, you know, haven't done that well. We, they may lose to Wake Forest this weekend. But we also know Florida State on November 10th is going to go into South Bend and play their butts off. And we know that they do have players. And they have more players than Pitt. Okay, and we also know Navy could give Notre Dame a game. 
We also know SC at the end of the year in Los Angeles could give them a game. So, so I'm not in. I don't see as clear of a path for them based on the way they've played as I do for other teams. So you got the cabal. You know, if LSU runs the table, they're in. Believe it or not, even with the loss to Florida, just like 2003, because they will have beaten Alabama, won the division, won the SEC championship. They're in. Okay, if, if you were to give a percentage of that happening, can, can we safely say it's less than 5%? Less than probably 5 yeah. <laughs> less than 2 I, I mean, would say. Yes. I would say, because I, okay. I don't know. Continue. But hey, look, like I said earlier, LSU, very good secondary. Very good secondary. So, um, you know, maybe Bama's passing game isn't as good. It's in Baton Rouge, all that stuff. You know, Michigan wins out there. and You know, Texas is going to be interesting because I don't know that they can't slip in. And if, they're, if they had TCU on the front of their jersey or Baylor, there's no way they'd get in. But because they're Texas – you know, that Maryland loss may loom large, uh, especially if you're trying to, like, say, should they get in over a one-loss Ohio State or a one-loss Michigan that will have beaten the Terps to, to, to oblivion. But I, I think, you know, you've got a win over SC, depending on how they do in the non-conference. Um, you've got a tough non-conference schedule, and then you, you will have gone through a nine-game Big 12 schedule undefeated and and then beating Oklahoma again. You know, I, I don't know that, that that doesn't put their body of work as superior to maybe even a, a one-loss Ohio State if they lose to Michigan. I, I'm not 100% sure about that. Um, but then again, a lot like Notre Dame, they played some close games and they've been living dangerously. Um, you know, Georgia has to win out. I think UCF, no chance. Uh, I wish people would quit talking about it. West Virginia... Our boy Matt Campbell at Iowa State took them yeah, out. Yeah, um, look, what a hell of a job. If Kentucky wins out, Kentucky's going to the playoff, people. All right, all right, um, all right, all right. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> it, it, but no, the, on the island, man, right now, legitimately on the island. Now, there, there may be some people in rowboats. On the island, and, and, and I'm going to say there's the Cabal, Buckeyes, Bama, Clemson. There's Notre Dame, and that's it. LSU's in a rowboat near the shore. Michigan's near the shore. Texas is lingering out there in the waters. Uh, Oklahoma. Oklahoma and Georgia are kind of drifting out there. Um, and, and Oklahoma, if they come back and, and went out, could be in too. I mean, uh, you know, Florida, I don't know. I kind of see them off in the distance from the lighthouse. Yeah. But, you know, that, that there's really not – I mean, I, honestly, I think there's a – yes, a percentage chance earlier. I think there's an 80% chance three of the four teams are already – pencil them in. Bama, right. Buckeyes, Clemson. Pencil them in. Which, by the way, remember I mentioned that stat, 11 <laughs> of the 16 playoff teams they, are the same – well, those are the same three that have been part of those eleven of the sixteen. So always look, there. Look again. I, I I made a pact with myself, and anybody who used to listen to me when I did uh, a talk show, I hosted a show for fifteen years, and I would always say, if you give me a playoff, because I despise the embarrassment of of sitting there and watching the BCS, the Bowl Alliance, the Bowl Coalition. This is what yeah. we lived with for a hundred years, determining champions in, in college football. If you ever gave me a playoff, 
I wasn't going to spend valuable time complaining about the number of teams. I was just going to I was going to be happy with the fact that it's better than what we had. And you can't argue with the fact it's better than what we had. I, it, no matter what system we have, when you have the same half a dozen teams competing for the national championship every year, I don't think it's good for college football. But that's not a playoff problem. That would have been a BCS problem. That would have been a. That's just a problem. I, I mean, that's just. I think it's you know a, what I mean. It's a. It's an Alabama and it's a, rec- a recruiting problem. Alabama. Well, Alabama sucks the oxygen out of the room. Right. And, and so it's a trickle. It's it's trickle down economics. They 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 you know with what how they recruit and they can only sign twenty five, but they sign twenty five of the very best players in the country, and, and they're difference makers that could have gone to another school that could have done this, that, and the other, to where when Alabama when Alabama has a, an injury, they don't drop off that much, whereas other schools, it may decimate their season. Um, and, and so then what you have are schools like Ohio State and Clemson, you know, that are trying to stay up there, Oklahoma, and then they suck talent out. And, and, and so, so you end up having a situation where, you know, you have a – four or five teams arguably that have the Jimmys and Joes to, to go through their conference and win their conference championship game and survive a season with one loss or however many, um, and that have the talent to win it. And, and when you have one team that's that dominant for that long, you know, it, it kind of affects the teams that are below them that have a shot. I mean, no question. Look, you know, Georgia was a great story last year. Clemson was a great story the first year. Now we were used to seeing them. You know, and, and you've had a Michigan State, a Washington, and an Oregon, you know, with some of their best teams ever. That You know, and, and, and Oregon did beat Florida State's butt. And then they go to the championship game and just get clobbered by Ohio State because Ohio State had better players, period. Um, you know, you look at, uh, at Washington – you know, Washington, great story. They got to the playoff. Play Alabama. Alabama didn't even play well. Nick Saban's griping after the ball game. 17-point win in the semifinal. Michigan State, one of their best teams of all time. 38 to nothing. Smoked by Alabama in the semis. And, and, and it's, the, it's the same all the way around. I mean, you know, and, and, and I think if we're looking for storylines and a March Madness and you'll never get to March Madness as far as excitement and intrigue, but something that's a little more interesting where more teams have a chance, you maybe need to expand it in some way. But at the same time, I I don't I don't know that that's going to change the outcomes and, and the same teams playing right. over and over. Well, and I'll just we'll put a period on it with this because I think we're running uh, short on time here. We'll have to get to the the, the Boza story next week because I think that is a pretty significant yes. deal. Um, but I'll just say this: there there is going to come a. T- I don't buy the argument. I mean, I'm okay with four, but six would be to me better. And I don't buy the argument if we expand it to six or even eight. It's never going to go more than eight, nor should it. Um, that all of a sudden the, the regular season is going to be destroyed. And, you know, this game on October the 8th is a playoff game. So don't complain. I, I hear that and I see that on social media. And I understand your argument, but to me it's pretty flimsy. 
Um, we would still have very meaningful games in November if the playoff was, say, six teams, do-or-die situations, de facto playoff games in the regular season, and you would just have a chance for more teams to be included in it. Uh, good teams, not just included in a sense of, hey, let's include everybody. Look at us. We're inclusive. Actual good, legitimately good college football teams in it, and I would think that would make it more interesting uh, so I, I, I will not get off that stance, and I find it laughable to those that say if you somehow went from four to six or even eight uh, that you that you lose all that. That's the same kind of lame argument that I, that I heard for years and years on why we should just stay with the BCS and never have a college football playoff. Uh, the same lame, asinine arguments that we heard for 20 years of the god-awful BCS. It'll destroy the regular season. no. <laughs> has it I, I mean, um, the bcs what killed me was mike you know we mentioned auburn in 04 earlier and some other teams that just got shafted it was never and even in the bowl alliance which made me want to throw up because the big 10 and pac 12 weren't going to give up the rose bowl and i right. never understood that it's just like let's just go vote on all right so what we're gonna do we're gonna play all these games then we're gonna wait a month then we're going to play a bunch of other games, but we're never going to let the two best teams play each other. Then we're going to vote and see who's best. Right. Sounds like a beauty pageant to me. Yeah. But That's we still what it was. Well, well, no, but but I mean, the BCS there was never a situation where one more game wouldn't have mattered. Wouldn't have wouldn't have solved it. All right. Well, mm-hmm. let's get let this. And it just it never happened that way. Um, I'd expand it to six. I would tell the group of five to take a hike. If you put a group of five team in there in the six, I think that's ridiculous, and people should riot. Let all the conference champions in and have a wild card. I mean, uh, I'm fine with that. I'm fine and give the group five their own playoff, uh, yes. which would which would be televised. I guarantee you the TV networks would gobble that up, pay for it, It'd be something. For, people watch the FCS playoffs. The group five playoffs will be just a slight level above the FCS playoffs. So that would be fine. And, and so, I, yeah. yeah. And one more thing, I would also do this because you, you're going to need to save the bowl system. And obviously, you can include some bowls in like the wild card rounds or whatever. And that would help those bowls. But I, I would do away with conference tie ins for bowl games. I think that at this point, they're, they're basically exhibitions anyway. And you just let bowls go bid and, and get with schools and their fan bases. And, and then you have probably more intriguing matchups around the country than you do now where, you know, you're getting sometimes, I mean, you know, like Arkansas going to the Belt Bowl in Charlotte, that does nothing for their fans. But if Arkansas got to go to the Boca Raton Bowl, that's a trip maybe a few more hundred would take. You right. know, maybe that's a trip maybe the players would like. And it, it the bowls now with all these like, you know, Sun Belt number four versus Conference USA number three and stuff like that, it, it, it's just that's what's killing the bowls, not the emphasis on the playoff. Uh, and I think I think you could get by with like for the majority of bowl games, just do away with the ties and, and, and have a free for all and, and say, yeah. you know, make bids and stuff like that. And that would save well, that part of it, too. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but but bowl games, those bowl games are nothing more than made for TV events. Yes. I mean, that that's all they are. And that's why when you when you're watching a bowl game on December 28th and you see 10,000 people in the stands and you say, oh, my gosh, they must be losing money on this thing. No, they're not, because it's guaranteed TV money. So the tickets are just icing on the Sunday or the cake, uh, depending on what type of dessert you like more most. The, the, the money in bowl games is television. 
And that's why there's 40 of them or whatever the number is now. It's not because they all have been these great successes where they're selling out every year. It's TV money. And as long as the networks are making money and as long as the teams are getting a check to go to these bowl games, it doesn't matter if there's nothing but parents and girlfriends there. They're going to keep happening. So I, I wouldn't waste energy hating and i'm not talking to you but i've, I've heard some people some hosts oh, i'm so tired of these terrible boat then don't watch <laughs> watch something no, yeah. else I, I just think you could you could have more intriguing matchups i mean like look oh you could there's like, no like, question you know link all right so fau was really good last year in one conference usa and i don't i don't remember who they played in a bowl game or whatever but wouldn't it be cool if like you know you had fau and then well you got a you got a six and six tennessee team over here Right. Well, if you're the Music City Bowl, you know, and you're also a television network, you know, instead of having Tennessee play Northwestern or whoever for the third time in four years in a bowl game in Nashville, you get FAU up there and all of a sudden Lane Kiffin coming back to Tennessee or, or something like that. That's a hypothetical. But there are just better matchups I think they could have if they sort of did it like they used to and, and let the bowls kind of. Yeah. In conjunction with the TV networks, I realize it's made for TV. Let let TV dictate it too, because man, that that's great. I just I think that especially in the SEC, some of them are getting a little stale in terms of return trips to places. How many more like times that. can Gamecock fans go to an Outback Bowl and be excited about it? They're not. That's what you're. That's what you're. That's they're, what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean that will. I mean, and when it's not South Carolina, it's Florida or it's it, Tennessee. Right. It's same fan uh, bases, same three or four destinations. I I agree with you. I I don't know if it's going to happen just because the the we don't have a true college football commissioner. Basically, college football is run by the conferences, mm-hmm. and the conferences like the convenience of having those bowl tie-ins already set, so we know that. Every year, an SEC team's going to the Outback Bowl. Every year, an SEC team's going to Orlando. Every year, uh, an SEC team is going to Shreveport. And so they 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 kind of have fallen in love with those relationships and those paychecks. And, and so I don't know if it's going to change anytime soon. But I'm with you. I'd love to see. I'd love fresh is a good word. I'd love to see freshness in a lot of things. And just to circle back on the final point, until. Like there are there are really good coaches and really good programs, and when you unite and have a good fit with those, then you have a juggernaut. You have a juggernaut with Nick Saban in Alabama. You have a juggernaut with Dabo Sweeney and Clemson. And yes, you have a juggernaut with Urban Meyer in Ohio State, which is why they, for the life of them, were not going to fire that man. They did everything they could to handle that thing as 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 best they could, despite Urban's insistence on on bumbling it every time he went in front of a microphone. Uh, they know when you have something like that in college football, you have a stranglehold on success. And that's what those programs have right now. Eventually, Nick Saban's going to retire, and Alabama, to me, is still going to be good, but they're not going to be Alabama. Eventually, Dabo Sweeney might leave, and Clemson might still be good, but they're not going to be Clemson. And same thing to an extent to Ohio State. But until those three things change, or any of those three things change, it's going to be a whole lot of the same, in my estimation. I, I I just don't see anything of significance changing in the next few years. And then we mentioned the other schools that are on the periphery. You know that that are are still Notre Dame could be a, a team that could be in the playoff once out of every four years. Uh, eventually, maybe a Florida gets back, a Texas gets back. Oklahoma's already you know one of those that continually gets in, or they're right in the thick of it. Outside of that. Brother, it's the same storyline every year in college football. We love it, 
and we still we still love every Saturday and all the great teams. But if you're talking big picture national championship hunt, it's like a broken record, and it's going to be again in year five of the playoff, just as it would have been in year five of any other postseason system that we had. Oh, and one other thing, for those that said the bowl games would die because of a playoff. The Outback Bowl is just as relevant or irrelevant, depending on how you look at it, look at it based on a playoff. The Cotton Bowl is just as relevant or irrelevant as it would have been if we had the BCS. The GoweryFurniture.com Bowl is just as worthless as it is or was if we had the BCS. So that's another nincompoop argument that I heard for 20 years that still doesn't stand. And I'd like all those people that made that argument for 20 years to go, come forward, go to a podium, and apologize to the American people. And with that, J.C., I say farewell and adieu. I've got nothing else. You, sir? I, I am done. Um, I, I just uh, – you kind of got me excited, though, because I love bowl ga- the bowl games, the bowl season, and um, which is why I want more diverse matchups. I, I pulled up the, uh, the, um, the bowl schedule, and uh, – so I'm starting to look at that. So I'm, I'm going we'll to digest it next week. I'm going to digest that. Yeah, we're going to yeah. definitely, uh, definitely rock and roll that. I mean, there, there, there's a December 15th bowl game in Atlanta, which is awesome. The Air there Force Reserve Celebration Bowl. So Heck anyway, yeah. yeah, but it's uh, it's good stuff. Uh, this weekend's big, but next weekend, uh, the 27th is going to be huge in a lot of ways, and uh, looks like we're going to have some answers here in a couple of weeks. So looking forward to talking again next week. Absolutely. For J.C. Sherbert, this is Mike Morgan. We will say so long for now. Thanks again to everybody who tunes in, the thousands of you, each and every week to this podcast. We thank you for that. We know there's a lot of other stuff out there, but for whatever reasons, you pick us. We're very grateful for that, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. So long, everybody. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. closet. An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space, space, space to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped, striped, striped boat neck sweaters. sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space. Space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped boat neck sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from.